Judges chapter 13. I'll read verses 2 through 5, but we will try to work our way through the whole chapter. Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. It says, There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This is God's word. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we ask for your help. All flesh are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. To this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite and who trembles at my word. Lord, grant us trembling hearts this morning that we might receive your word unto the salvation of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a situation where there was a power outage and all of a sudden, the lights went out. Usually when that happens in our home, thankfully not very often, it's accompanied by children screaming, which is never very helpful. <clears throat> Upon which a parent usually pulls out their cell phone and turns on a little light so that we know there's no monsters in the room. But those kinds of situations remind me of a, of a kind of a proverb that says, better to light a candle in the darkness than to curse the darkness. Better to light a candle in the darkness than to curse the darkness. Perhaps you haven't noticed, but we are living in very dark times. And there's a temptation to just angrily curse at the darkness, but I want to suggest a different pathway that we can draw from Judges chapter 13 to light a candle in the midst of the darkness, to seek to do some good, to shine the light of Christ in the midst of a very, very dark world. We find Judges chapter 13 in the context of very dark times in ancient Israel. Uh, if you remember something of the history of Israel and God's people, God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and, and uh, He promises him a people, a land, a seed. And, and uh, they find themselves in Egypt for 400 years and eventually God brings them out of Egypt into the promised land through the great mediator Moses. 
And they're finally in the promised land and and conquering those city-states, the Canaanites, during the time period of Joshua. But then it's during the time period of the Judges that uh, the the author of Judges records these seven different cycles of Israel rebelling against the Lord and God selling them into slavery. And then the people supplicating, crying out to God, deliver us. And then God sending a kind of mini-savior to deliver them. And we often call these mini-saviors or mini-deliverers judges. Now often when we think of a judge, we think of like Judge Judy or somebody who's sitting behind a bench and rendering a decision. But they weren't judges in that kind of way. They were leaders and and their primary role was to deliver Israel out of the slavery of these these surrounding pagan city-states, often the Philistines. And and, uh, and so this is the context and it's very wicked times and God raises up these, these different judges. But really the theme verse of all the book of Judges is Judges chapter 21 verse 25 when it says, In those days... There, there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And really, that's, that's very much the situation. It's a very dark time, very wicked time in ancient Israel. Even the heroes had tremendous... Uh, uh, blemishes upon their character as we see with none other than Samson in our text this morning. Uh, but, but basically when you go through the list of the different judges, you have Othniel at the beginning. He's probably the best of the judges and it's all really downhill from there. There's Ehud who's kind of the sinister left-handed fellow who's an assassin. Uh, there's Shamgar who there's only a couple verses devoted to him. He's the guy who slays like 600 with his uh, spear. And then you have people like Deborah and Barak. And, and, and Deborah is, a, is an oddity in the sense she's a female judge. And this is a rebuke because you remember the commanding general of the Israelite armies was something of a sissy. And so God says, okay, I'll send a woman out to lead you into battle and to get the victory. Uh, and then there's Gideon who... Uh, Seems to make a good start, but eventually he leads Israel into idolatry. Uh, and, and after Gideon is a fellow, one of Gideon's sons by the name of Abimelech. And uh, Abimelech, uh, he's, he, he basically puts a hit out on all of his brothers, which is not really a good thing, uh, you know, and doesn't make for holiday gatherings uh, to go over very well. But he tragically puts a hit out on all of his brothers and this kind of decimates all of Gideon's family. And then, then we have uh, Jephthah, uh, who's the judge who comes right before this, who's uh, involved in delivering Israel, but he tragically, remember, he makes that vow of sacrifice. Whatever comes out of my house, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord if you give me victory. And it winds up his daughter who comes out and he, he engages in what is unthinkable in ancient Israel, human sacrifice. I mean, this was something that was practiced by the pagans around Israel, but, but an Israelite leader engaging in, in human sacrifice. So this, this is the time period of the judges. It was a very 
dark time in society in ancient Israel. And, uh, and we come across another one of these cycles here in verse 1. Now, the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. So here's another one of these cycles. They, they do evil. They sin. God hands them over into slavery. He takes them to the pawn shop and says, here, here you go. He sells them over this time to the Philistines and they're, they're uh, um, enslaved by the Philistines for 40 years. But what is unique about this particular cycle, as I mentioned often in these cycles in Judges, they then cry out to the Lord. And then in the midst of their misery, in the midst of their suffering, being oppressed by one of these surrounding pagan nations, they normally cry out. But this time they don't even cry out. And yet God is setting a plan in motion to deliver them, to save them. He's just that kind of God. Verse 2, There was a man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. So now the camera focuses on this particular man and his family. This man's name is Manoah. You might be familiar with the name Noah uh, from the book of Genesis. And so this name is derived from Noah. And and it means rest, which is interesting because uh, he was going to use Noah's son to bring about some measure of rest in Israel in the promised land. And notice what tribe he's from. He's of the family of the Danites. Now, the Danites, they they weren't the most popular of the tribes of Israel. You know, Judah and Manasseh, the Levites. The Danites were were pretty low in the pecking order of the twelve tribes. But yet, this Manoah and his wife are chosen. And notice we're given some information about Noah and or Manoah and his wife in verse 2, that his wife was barren and had borne no children. Now for us, that doesn't sound like a very big deal. I mean, there's even couples today who decide not to have children. Um, Children often today are viewed as a curse, as something that uh, just kind of gets in the way of life and the real good stuff of life. But not in ancient Israel, not according to a biblical worldview. Children were always regarded as a blessing from the Lord. In fact, uh, Psalm 127, Psalm 128, they're, they're regarded as a blessing from the Lord, as, as arrows in the quiver to, to shoot out into the world. But Mr. and Mrs. Manoah have no children. And so, something shocking out of the ordinary happens in verse 3. It says, Then the angel of the Lord, the angel, well, notice the all capitals, the angel of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. So all of a sudden, this angel of the Lord appears to Mrs. Manoah. 
and tells her that while she's barren, she is going to conceive and not only is she going to conceive, you won't even need to do an ultrasound. I'm telling you, it's a boy. It's a boy. Now, keep in mind, again, kind of the the historical context in which Mrs. Manoa would have lived. She would have no doubt heard of, read, maybe even read uh, 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 accounts of, in, in the book of Genesis through the writings of Moses of women who had been barren. For instance, Sarah, Abraham's wife, who was into her 90s and then an angel comes and tells her and Abraham that she is going to give birth to a son. Uh, of course, later on as well with Rebecca, an angel visiting, you're going to give birth to a son. And so now all of a sudden, here's Mrs. Manoah and an angel comes to her. And so this would have been something tremendous. Wow, perhaps God is going to do something tremendous through this child. And indeed, the instructions that are given in verse 4 would indicate that there will be something unique about this child. Verse 4, Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. The angel now gives instructions to Mrs. Manoah here. Instructions that are are really almost lifted verbatim out of Numbers chapter 5 in what is called a Nazarite vow. If you were a Levite and you were especially consecrated to the Lord as a priest, but, but there was this special vow that was given not just to the priest, but to any Israelite, both male and female, to have a special time of devotion and dedication unto the Lord. And it was usually for a temporary period in which a person would abstain from any kind of alcoholic beverage or any kind of great product. Um, They weren't allowed to come into contact with, with anybody or anything that was dead. Also, they weren't supposed to. Uh, they weren't supposed to cut their hair, so they would grow their hair long. And and, and and these commitments were for that specific time of devotion unto the Lord. But then, notice there's one thing that's added that really wasn't in Numbers chapter five, which may be an indication of both the, the activities of the household and the time period. Notice in verse five. There's also instruction, or I'm sorry, in verse 4, there's also instruction not to eat any unclean thing. So maybe uh, while this angel is talking with Mrs. Manoah, there was some shrimp on the bobby. Um, Or some bacon frying in the pan. And uh, they needed to have some specific instructions to go back to those dietary laws and not to be engaging in eating those things that were regarded as unclean, that forbid God's people from going into the tabernacle to bring offering and sacrifice and worship to the Lord. Verse 5, the angel continues, For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. 
For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Notice here, there's not only an obligation that's given that's explicitly spelled out as a Nazarite vow. There's an explanation that not only is Mrs. Manoah to be a Nazarite for the time period of the gestation of this child, but also this child is also to take a Nazarite vow. He's going to be a special young lad. But also notice there's not only a a standard that's given for the son, but there's a promise that's attached to the son. Did you catch that at the end of verse 5? He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He's going to be a kind of a savior. To deliver Israel, God's people, from the oppressiveness of the Philistines. And indeed, when you read the rest of Judges, he he does do that. I mean, with a flaming temper. Uh, But he was an instrument in God's hand, a hammer of judgment upon the Philistines, almost single-handedly wiping out armies of the Philistines. Verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, said, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. So notice it's still unclear to Mrs. Manoah as to whether this person is a prophet, a man of God, or whether this is an angel. And then notice she says, I I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. In other words, I I didn't know much about him. Verse 7, But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, to the day of his death. Now, notice she does add one thing that's not recorded by the angel that this is he's to be this way till the day of his death. Now, it's hard to know whether she was the angel actually said that or not. We clearly see that's what Samson was supposed to be doing for the rest of his life as the book unfolds. Verse 8. Then Manoah entreated the Lord O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again that he may teach us and and teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. And so Manoah prays. He, he, He wants to see the angel again. He wants to pick. And at this point he doesn't know that it's an angel. He calls him a man of God. Uh, assuming that this is uh, uh, some kind of prophet, some kind of messenger of God. Now, we don't know all of Manoah's motivations. Maybe he, he wanted to verify it for himself. I mean, if your wife came to you and told you that an angel visited her, um, you know, you, you, you might think maybe she's gone flew the cuckoo's nest, you know. And you would want, Lord, give me, give me a little bit more here. You know, give me a little bit more. 
I want to see Him with my own eyes. I want to hear the instructions for myself. Verse 9, God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So it's, it's mildly humorous because God answers his prayer right, but the, but, but, but the angel doesn't come to him. He goes again to his wife. And uh, this time, Mrs. Manoah knows exactly what to do. Wait here, I'm going to go get my hubby. And so, verse 10, the woman ran quickly, told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day, he's appeared to me, he's back. Then Manoah rose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said, uh, when, when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. And so, the conversation begins. And so, verse 12, Manoah said, Now, when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? Uh, it's probably better translated, what shall be the boy's rule and works? And it seems to be Manoah's question is, you know, what are we talking about here? I mean, are we talking Ivy League material? You know, maybe uh, West Point. What are we talking about here? What what kind of uh, a, a, a boy is this going to be? And you you have to love the angel's response in verse thirteen. The angel angel of the Lord said to Manoah, "Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes." from the vine, or drink wine, or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. He doesn't say anything more than what he's already said. He almost verbatim repeats exactly the same thing. Manoah no doubt was hoping for a little bit more information. And so as he's trying to pry the lips of this angel open a little bit more, he asks him to stay for dinner. Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you that we may prepare a young goat for you. So he tells the, the angel, Come, stick around. My wife makes some amazing pulled, pork, I mean, pulled goat. And, uh, you know, have some, some wine in the... I mean, Pepsi... In the refrigerator, stick around. But notice the angel's response, verse 16. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. The angel says, if, if you're going to kill a goat, then, then offer it to the Lord. I, I'm not going to eat. And again, Moses, or not Moses, Manoah still doesn't realize who he's talking to. That he's talking to the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. Now, 
again, if you're familiar with all that God has revealed up until this point in the Scripture, there was different instances where the angel or the messenger of Yahweh would come to the different patriarchs, to the different important movers and shakers amongst God's covenant people. For instance, it was the angel of Yahweh who appeared to Jacob at Bethel. It was the angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. And again, in each of those narratives, as you're reading, it's mentioning an angel appeared, an angel of the Lord, and then, and then it becomes very clear that it's the Lord who's speaking. And, and, it, and, it, and it becomes apparent that these angel of the Lord appearances are theophanies. They are the appearance of God Himself amongst His people. And so, verse 17, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. So Manoah says, can, can I at least get a name? You know, maybe, maybe we'll name this boy after you. A card? Business card? Anything? Facebook friends? Verse 18, But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Names often in the Scripture are, are, are more than just merely what parents decide to call their children, but, but carry the idea of a person's character. And even in many instances in the Scripture, when there's a, a life-altering event, there's a name change that goes with it. And here, this angel says, Why do you ask my name? Seeing that it is wonderful. Now, it's interesting because this, this word wonderful is a word that's not used very often in the Scriptures at all. It's used in Psalm 139 verse 6 when it says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Psalm 139 verse 14, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. So it's a word that's often used of God Himself and the mystery and enigma that surrounds God Himself. And so here this angel says, uh, why do you ask my name seeing that it is Wonderful. Verse 19, So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord and he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. So Manoah gives two offerings here. He gives what, what uh, is, is called an ascension offering. This is spelled out in Leviticus chapter 1 where the whole animal is burnt on the altar. And it's called an ascension offering because it just ascends to the Lord and it's called a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's distinct from some of the other offerings like the peace offering where both the priest and the offerer uh, would share 
in the meal and in, in some of the meat of the sacrifice and the rest of it would go to the Lord. But this, the whole burnt offering, the whole goat is burned unto the Lord. But then it's also, uh, in, in a sense, chased by the grain offering where there would be uh, uh, wheat or, or flour that would be burned on the altar. And this too was regarded as a pleasing aroma. And, and the burnt offering carried more the, the idea of making atonement and reconciliation, having sins propitiated and absorbed in the offering. And the, and the second one, the grain offering, was more of a tribute offering of thanks in light of this forgiveness that is granted to us. And so, so Manoah does these offerings on this rock, which is a kind of altar, and notice, and, and he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. Well, what wonders did he perform? What wonders did this angel of the Lord perform? Verse 20, we're about to see. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven. And here's where you see the kind of play on the words with this kind of offering as an ascension offering. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame on the altar. So it's just kind of like a beam me up, Scotty. And the angel of Yahweh just ascends to heaven in the flame. And you can just imagine the looks on Mr. and Mrs. Manoah's face as they see what just happened. Remember, this, this angel was appearing in human form, right? I mean, they, they thought this was a prophet. They thought this was a fellow human. But now, all of a sudden, this what seemed to be a prophet, all of a sudden is going up in smoke unto heaven. The second part of verse 20, when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So they appropriately respond by falling on their faces, realizing that they are in the presence of deity. That this was no mere man that they were in the presence of. And so, verse 22, Manoah, said to his wife, Surely we will die, for we have seen God. Manoah says, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. This is, this is the end of it. We're done. We're toast. We have been in the presence of deity. It's all over for us. No doubt Manoah knowing passages like Exodus chapter 33 verse 20, but he said, the Lord said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. But then Mrs. Manoah demonstrates her spiritual perception. Her connecting the, the sacrifice and them still being alive with the reality that they were also in the presence of deity. Verse 23, But the wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would He have shown us all these things, nor would He have let us hear things like this at this time. 
So her, her threefold response is brilliant. He has accepted our offering and he did not consume us in the fire. Secondly, he showed us this wonder, no doubt, so that we would believe. And then thirdly, he told us a promise. He just gave us this promise that I'm going to have a baby boy and this baby boy is going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. It's pretty hard to do that if I'm dead. Verse 24, Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Sonny. That's what Samson means, Sonny. And he grew up, child grew up, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in, in Mahena Dan between Zorah and Eshtaal. So sure enough, they didn't die. Sure enough, the promise of the Lord is fulfilled and she gives birth to a boy, a mini-savior who would grow up and the Lord had blessed him. Now what do we take away from this passage? It is Mother's Day. And so, it's an exhortation to mothers and children. I was going to say word to mothers and children, but that sounded too much like vanilla ice. An exhortation to mothers and children and then an expectation for mothers and children and all. There's certainly some principles that can be gathered for parenting in dark times. Indeed, this was very dark times in ancient Israel, but in the midst of these dark times, Mrs. Manoah demonstrates tremendous spiritual maturity and devotion unto the Lord. Again, she's lighting a candle in the midst of the darkness. Daniel Block, in his fine commentary on Judges, he says this, Mrs. Manoah, the woman who is portrayed, is portrayed as a beautiful person, unquestioning in her faith and logical in her thinking. A model of Israelite womanhood. She is a special woman called by God to be the bearer of the deliverer of Israel. And what do we learn from her? First of all, to dedicate yourself unto the Lord. This was the initial exhortation to Mrs. Manoah in verse 4. Therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or any unclean thing. She herself was to take one of these Nazarite vows. One of these vows to be devoted unto the Lord. Now, again, in, in our context, I understand that we don't live under the law that the Israelites lived under, the ceremonial aspects of that law, those holiness principles that were to keep Israel distinct from those pagans that surrounded them. But nonetheless, the principle of holiness is carried over into the New Testament. I mean... It's Peter himself who quotes from the book of Leviticus, Be holy, as the Lord says, Be holy for what? 
I, the Lord your God, am holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to be set apart and devoted unto the Lord. To be holy is is something that that, uh, husbands and wives vow to one another in that wedding ceremony that I'm forsaking all others and to be devoted wholly unto you. Where you're turning away, setting aside any other options for marriage and you're going to commit yourself in love and commitment to that other person. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to devotion to the Lord, being holy to the Lord. It's not merely being set apart just to be weird, but to be set apart because you're owned by the Lord. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 6.20 where it says, You have been bought with a price... Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's okay to be different. It's okay. Like the Arby's commercial says, different is good. One of the sirens that is in our heart and, and, and surrounds us is that we often want to fit in. We often want to be liked and accepted by others. But friends, we, we need to understand that part of living the Christian life is to live a distinct life that's different from the rest of the world. And flashlights always work best in the darkness. And this is also so imperative as as parents that we be devoted and dedicated unto the Lord as we seek to devote and dedicate our children unto the Lord. Because, I mean, could you imagine Mr. and Mrs. Manoa comes dinner time and uh, they're chowing down on pork rinds and shrimp and uh, hey Sonny um, there's some bananas in the fridge no they all had to be devoted unto the Lord and, and, and this was the, the, the second call was that they would devote him unto the Lord that their child also was to be living a distinct life that he also wasn't to partake of wine. That he also wasn't to cut his hair. The scriptures are filled with exhortations to parents, fathers, mothers to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You read through the book of Proverbs and hear the appeals of a father to his sons over and over, urging them to follow the path of wisdom rather than the path of folly. Parents who love their children earnestly desire them to follow the Lord. So she dedicates herself to the Lord. She dedicates her children to the Lord. A child in this instance, and she also demonstrates a, a robust theology. We see that in verses 
20 through 23, For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord descended, or I'm sorry, ascended in the flame in of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. They realize that they were in the presence of God, of very God, and their faces are planted in the ground in homage and reverence and fear of the Lord. They understood that, that God is a God who's dangerous. That God is a God who is holy. God is a God who is righteous. But also they understood, at least she did, something of His grace. Notice in, in verse 22, Manoah said, we're going to die. We've seen God. But the wife, again, notice, if the Lord had desired to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. He's accepted this offering. We're not going to die. We're forgiven. He's not going to obliterate us. We're accepted before Him. This offering has been accepted as a sacrifice that is well-pleasing unto the Lord. He is favorable towards us. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary on Judges says, we must allow Manoah's wife to teach us. And she would want us to realize that even when He overwhelms us with awe-inspiring glimpses of His majesty, it is not in order to destroy, but to assure us of His power as well as His will to save. To assure us of His power as well as His will to save. Miss Manoah demonstrates she had a robust theology. Parents, grow deep in your understanding of God and His character and the Scriptures so that you can pass it on to your children. You, you can't draw from a dry, empty well. If your well is only about that deep with theology and Scripture, well, I mean, then you're going to be passing on little droplets to your children. But you want to douse them with a a robust theology that, as Ted Tripp says, not a superficial theology that they'll grow out of, but a robust theology that they can grow into. But also, young people, you're familiar with the story of Samson, aren't you? Samson had a very privileged upbringing. He had two parents who loved him, who dedicated him to the Lord. But, as time would go on, as he entered into teenage and young adult years, he sees a woman you to read the Hebrew literally, it says, she looked good to me. Get her for me. And in fact, literally, it says, she's, she's good in my eyes. And, and it's a play off of the, the theme uh, from, from Judges 21. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. 
You know, son, is she she a believer? She loved the Lord? She looked good to me. His life is a tragedy, right? He slays a lion with his bare hands, but then touches that lion to grab some honey out of it, defiling himself. His life is one of tragedy. Even though he had a tremendous upbringing, being devoted to the Lord, he winds up a tremendous disappointment because he didn't walk in the fear of the Lord as he ought to have. Young people, many of you have such a tremendous privilege. Privilege of hearing the Word of God, having your parents lead you in the Scripture. Don't squander that privilege. It's not something to take lightly. In fact, that privilege gives you more accountability before God to take those things that you've received and to respond with faith. What is a watch made for? A watch is made, well, used to be watches were made to tell time, now they do about a thousand other things, but you get the point. What are you made for? You are made and designed to glorify God. And when when a watch doesn't tell time, it's broke. It's not functioning. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Samson was set apart to glorify the Lord with his life, but so much of his life was a tragedy. Now he does, at the end of it, wind up sacrificing his life to deliver Israel but very much as a great disappointment. But not only is there exhortation to mothers and children, but there's an expectation for mothers and children and all. This is one of those passages, you know, whenever you're preaching through the Old Testament, I always want to preach all of Scripture as Christian Scripture, but but it's often a challenge when, you, when you're preaching through the Old Testament and thinking through how does this passage relate to the full story of Christ. And sometimes it's not easy, you know. You're really trying to think how does this fit into the main storyline of, of, of Christ. Well, Judges chapter 13 is an embarrassment of riches. There's so many avenues, so many freeways and interstates and turnpikes that will take you to Christ. Let me just show you several of them. Because this is important, especially as we think about our own dark times. We think about the dark times in which Samson and Manoah lived in. Ultimately, they needed to live in the expectation and hope for God to bring about a Deliverer who would not just begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines, but he would finish the deliverance of his people. And so we see this with a similar birth narrative. Did you notice that in the reading in in Judges 13.5? For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Sound familiar? Luke 1.31 
And behold, the angel says to Mary, You will conceive and in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. They both share a very special nativity scene. But also, the special messenger bringing the news. Do you remember what the angel said about himself? Manoah was asking for his card. What's, what's your name? And he says, Why do you ask my name seeing that it is wonderful? And we asked ourselves, I, I mentioned, it's quite clear that this angel Lord is deity himself. But, but obviously, as the Scriptures unfold and we, we understand that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask ourselves, which person within the Godhead is revealing Himself here? I think there's a little tip in this angel identifying Himself, this appearance of the Lord Himself identifying Himself as wonderful. Because you remember the prophet Isaiah... Within Isaiah chapter 9, I know he's thinking about judges because he talks about a time of Gideon and the Midianites. And then when he begins to talk about the coming Messiah, the future king of Israel, he says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Again, I said this is a word that's hardly ever used in the Old Testament, but one of the times it's used, several of the times it's used to speak of God, but it's also used to speak of the future Divine Messiah. I have little doubt that this appearance of the angel of the Lord is none other than the second person of the eternal trinity, the Lord Jesus Himself. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. That while the eternal Son appeared, would appear in these different instances throughout the Old Testament, there was one climactic way in which He appeared in the incarnation, in the crucifixion, in the resurrection. But not only that, it's like the infomercial, but there's still more. The special sacrifice. Verse 20, For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Here, this Christophany, this second person of the Trinity himself comes into the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the burnt offering. The sacrifice of the burnt offering that's spelled out in Leviticus chapter 1 where an Israelite would come and lay, press his hands into the head 
of that animal, identifying with that animal as that animal being a representative of Him. And also that animal taking upon Him the guilt that He deserves. And that animal then having its life taken away. And that that animal being butchered on the altar by the priest and placed upon the fire in ascending to heaven. And Leviticus 1 says... It's a sweet sacrifice, an aroma unto the Lord. And so here, wouldn't you know, thousands of years before Jesus would ever come to this earth, when He appears to Mr. and Mrs. Manoah, and they offer their burnt offering, He joins in the sacrifice. No doubt a reminder and a picture that one day this second person of the Trinity would clothe Himself in humanity and be born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. That as Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so it's no wonder that Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A sweet sacrifice. Pleasing to the Father to make both Mr. and Mrs. Manoah acceptable before God so God didn't strike them dead at that moment. But now here we are in the new covenant. This Jesus paid the price for our sins. Friend, is that your hope this morning? If that's your hope, that's going to fuel you to want to devote your life to the Lord. That's going to fuel you to want to devote your children's lives unto the Lord. But if that's not your hope, then you don't have much hope. You need to turn to Christ and He will absorb all the penalty of your sin. And not only that, there's an expectation and hope of a renewed world that the, this world will not be all darkness. That one day there will be no need for the sun. For the glory of the Lamb will fill the earth and shine brightly. And so you'll no longer have to hold up your little candle because the blazing light of Jesus will shine upon this earth. Amen. That's the hope of mothers. It's the hope of all of humanity. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank You and praise You for the truth of Your Word. Lord, this passage written thousands of years before before Joseph, before Mary. And yet, because it's Your story, it's Your Word, 
we're able to see how it all fits together, how this ancient text points to the Lord Christ and how it even so relevantly applies to our lives today. So Lord, help us to live with that hope and expectation that is found in the Savior who's come and who is coming. In the midst of this, in the midst of the darkness, to hold out our candles and to do the good that we can in light of that expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.